We are learning daf pei hey. So let's go over outside what it is and we're in the middle of it, then we'll start the daf. So we were talking about a woman who made a neder uh, that she was not going to benefit from people. And because of that, she became poor. And the question is whether she, she can take the gifts to the poor. So the mission said she could take lecha chicho peya. The mission did not say she take maiser ani. So we explained yesterday that maiser ani, the Indian is that it's given. It's an asina. It's not just abandoned. There's an asina. If there's an asina, then when she takes it, she's benefiting from the person that she's taking it from. They have a din, a right to give it. Then the mission continued where a person is making a neder. Mishnah uh, is continuing with someone who's making a neder that Kornim Levim can't benefit from them. So the halacha is that the Kornim Levim can still forcibly take their truma and miser. And it's not the idea is that they're not benefiting from the person. Why not? Because what does the person have? He doesn't really have value. He doesn't have equity in the truma and miser. All the Torah gave him was a right to, to decide which Kohen he to give it to. But that right to decide which Kohen to give it to, that's called tovas hana, the benefit of the gratitude that the Kohen might have. That does not define his equity. That's not considered real value in it. So in the Truma and Meiser that the, that the person has, when you give it, it's not considered yours. So you have no value in it. So the Kohen and Levium are taking it from you. And it's not considered the driving pleasure from something of you. However, the next line in the Mishnah contradicted that. The next line in the Mishnah stated, the next line in the Mishnah stated that when you ask for a certain Kohen and for a certain Levium from taking from you, you said, this Kohen or that Kohen is also going to benefit from me. So then, you know, the Truma, they can't have Truma and Meiser from you. Then it has to be given to another Kohen. What's the Pshad? Seemingly, Mamash the opposite. Tova is Mamun. Tova is considered that be matter of value. It is, you do have equity in it, even though you have to give it to a coin or, 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 or a levy, but the fact that you have the right to choose which coin and which levy, and they're going to have gratitude to you when you choose them, so therefore it's considered real equity, it's considered real value that you have in the truma and miser, and therefore when they take from you, it's considered that they're deriving pleasure from your thing. So the Mishnah noted, so the Gemara noted that it's a contradiction from one line in the Mishnah to the next. Basically, we don't see the difference between the case where you said, Kohan and Levim in general can't benefit from me, where we say they're allowed to take the Truman Meister from you because Tobas is not Mammon. So the next line in the Mishnah where we say if you ask for a specific Kohen or Levi from having benefit from you, we say that that Kohen and Levi can't take from you, but somebody else could. Why? Seemingly that Kohen and Levi can't take from you because Tobas is Mammon. So the Gemara tried to tell us a very interesting thing that even though it's one line in the Mishnah, one right after the next, it's a Machlokes Tanam. So let's just read it inside again. Why not? Starting from Pei Dalit Ahmed Bey's Three lines up in the bottom, Titania, the Gemara is saying, is Machlokas Tanam, Rebbe, 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 Agonav, Tevil, Shokhaver, Va'achla. Somebody steals his friend's Tevil. Tevil is untied stuff. So you steal your friend's Tevil, and now you eat all of it, so you have to pay back. But do you have to pay back the amount of the Trimon Meiser that was in there? Or you could say, hey, I didn't steal that from you. Anyways, you weren't going to have that. Anyways, that was going to go to the Kohen and the Levi. So the first of Matama, Rebbe, Rebbe, you have to pay back the entire value. Let's say it was 100 apples. You have to pay back 100 apples worth, even though a few of those apples were going to go to the Kohen and Levi. No, you only pay the amount that would be remaining by the owner after he would tithe. So what's proud of the Machlokas if you have to pay back for the Truma and the Miser? That's what they're arguing. Rebbe holds that this benefit from the from from that that the that the owner has it, he could decide which coin to, or levy to give it to. That's real equity in the thing. So therefore, you, when you stole from him, you didn't only steal from him the, the 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 value of most of it. You stole from him the value of every single thing because he owned all of it, even though he had he had to give away. But even from the things that he has to give away, he has what's considered real tangible equity in it. It's no, just the right to decide who to give it to. That doesn't have a din of mamun. And therefore, what did you steal? You only stole the rest of it, but you didn't steal the Truma and Meiser. So now, very good. We can use that Machlokas for our Mishnah. The Mishnah is the beginning of the Mishnah, where we say, Tovah is not Mamon. 
And we say that if you ask all Kohanim and Levim from taking pleasure from you, they could still take Truma and Maiser because they're not taking your thing. They're taking their thing. You happen to have a, a Zaytika ability to decide which Kohanim or Levi to give it to, but that's not Mama, so they're not, they're not getting pleasure from you. The next part of the mission, which says when you ask her, a certain Kohanim or Levi to take pleasure from you, so they can't take your Truma and Maiser, that's going like Rabbi Yehuda, the Tovah Sana is Mama. It's a very interesting thing. You have one line in the Mishnah contradicting the next, and we just say, you know, one is going like one Tana, one is going like the other Tana. Okay, very good. Now, I just want to pause for a moment and reflect. I mentioned the question yesterday, but I just want to get a little bit more detail about it now. Is that we're basically coming out that whether they're not, the corner of Levim can take it when you ask for them to get pleasure from you. It depends on whether you have, your, you have equity, whether you have mammon in your right to choose which corner Levi it goes to. If it has mammon, so the driving pleasure from you. If it's not considered mammon, then not. And that's the open debate here. The Torah said you choose, but does that mean it's yours to choose or does that mean it's the Kohanim? You just happen to have a, a right to choose. So the question is, why is Maeser Ani any different? By Maeser Ani, we were saying that if the woman can't get pleasure from anybody and Maeser Ani is something which is given and the woman can't take Maeser Ani. By Maeser Ani, we've been saying it was obvious that it's forbidden for her to take the Maeser Ani if it's a gift. Only if it's like Lech which are abandoned, can she take. But if it's Maeser Ani, which is given as a gift, she can't take. Why? Why don't we say the same lambdas? Maybe that's not considered equity. Maeser Ani, the tovas are not to decide which Ani to give it to is not Maman. So the woman can take. We're coming out here that if you ask her a specific coin, the only reason the coin can't take is if you say tovas are not Maman. But if you say tovas are not, ain't no Maman, so then it's Mother. So what? The part of the mission by Maeser Ani was also going well, only like it doesn't sound like the Gemara is even bringing that up it sounds like in the Gemara Maeser Ani is very good that the woman can't take because she's taking a gift like that's Pashat we're only bringing up the question of or by the Trima what's the difference between the Trima and the Maeser Ani so the Achorinim say a very lumpish point listen to the Shaila if you have if you have Trima and you try to be um, you try to go ahead and be Makadish a woman with it if you will Tovas Hanah Eino Maman you can't be Makadashir because you don't have equity. It's not yours. You might have a right to decide which coin to give it to. But if you, if you, if, 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 if you hold Eno Mama until it's not considered your money, it's not your, your, your item that you're the owner of, you can't be Makadashir woman with it. But by Maeser Ani, if you hold, no matter whether you hold Tovas Anar Maman or Eno Maman, by Maeser Ani, the Torah is telling you, give a gift. That's what the Torah is telling you. You might be required to give a gift, but the nature of it is not that the Ani is entitled to it. It's that the Torah is giving you a mitzvah, go give a gift. By Truma, the Torah is not telling you, go give a gift to the Truma. Go give a gift of Truma to the Kohen. The Torah is telling you, the Kohen has rights. The Kohenim have the Truma. It's theirs. You may have a right to decide which Kohen to give it to, and that right might not be defined as money. But by Maeser Ani, the din is you're the owner, but you should give a gift. Avada, the nature of it is a gift, and therefore it's Pasha. The Achernim say, if you're Mekadish, a poor woman, with Maeser Ani, for example, even though you have to give it to an Ani, it's a mitzvah, but if Ade, she's Mekudashas, because you're the owner, the Torah is just telling you, go give a gift. What a great say to know. Manas Aniyam, the Pshad is, it's a mitzvah to give a gift. Manas Kuhuna, the Pshad is, it's the Kohanims, give them what is theirs. Yeah, they are the Noslach, Reishtag. Manas Kuhuna, give them what is theirs. Manas Aniyam is, go give them a gift. Right, it doesn't have a din. Even though you're going to ask me, it's called Matnas Kuhuna. They have finance called Manus Kuna. That's what we call it. But the Yisoyed Advarim is that they have a right in it. And therefore, give them, give them what is theirs. That's what we mean when we call that Matana. Mashayim Manas Anim, it's not they don't have any rights. Anim don't have rights. The Pshad is the Torah is telling you, go give from what is yours to them. Therefore, it's posture if you be Makadish or poor. Um, 
woman with my surrounding, she'd be Mekudashis. That's why in the, in the case where she was poor and she can't benefit from other people, if she would go ahead and take my surrounding of Ada, she's taking pleasure from the owner because she's taking a gift from them. Where this person is Asher and from taking from them, if you hold of us are not Enomamun, the right to choose is not considered equity, so then they're not having pleasure from you. They're just taking what is theirs. Only if you hold of a new Yisoy, that type of is Mamun, since they are owe you the gratitude of Achule, so it's considered real equity, only then would it be us. Okay, what a Gishmak Yisoy, now let's go five years. Okay, we're trying to say one line to the next, next in the Mishnah, and we're saying that the basis of the Machlokas is Rebbe and Rebbe, Rebbe Yudav, you steal the Tavel if you have to pay back the whole amount, or only the amount, minus the Trimus and Maizos. You don't necessarily know. It could be from there. Everybody holds Eino Mammon. Why are you paying back the value of the Trimah? We're arguing about the status of Tavel. Before the Trimah and Maizos has been separated, how do you look at it? Rebbe holds that it's considered that they're, that they're part of the Hulin at that point. Meaning before you separate the, 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 the gifts, the gifts, they don't exist. It's like they're just swallowed up in the hulin. So before you t- separate trimus and maestros, you just have, if you have 100 apples and you haven't taken off trimus and maestros, 100 apples of hulin. Therefore, you stole 100 apples from the owner. Grace Rebbe Yehuda holds, it's considered like they've already been separated. Meaning to say, his point is, even though you haven't separated it, but from the very outset, you look at some of the, you look at some of the apples as being trimus and maestros. So if you hold that, that matanish lohormo is not as if it's been hormo, that's Rebbe, then you have to pay back the full amount. If you hold like Rebbe Yehuda, Rebbe if it's considered like they're already separate, you don't pay back the full amount. But the Gemara counters that that makes no sense in Sfar because if Tovas Anah is not equity, so what's the difference whether it's separated or not? And the point that we're asking is even if it's, even if it, uh, you can't be considered an, own, an, an, an owner of the entire crop which has a trimus and so if you're telling me Tovas Anah is Enomam. So even if you hold, even, accordingly, how could Rebbe say that this Ghanav has to pay back the full amount because because and compensate even for the amount that would be trimus or maizros because it's not as if it was separated. But at the end of the day, it doesn't make sense whether or not if you're not going to have an equity in the truma after it's separated. So then, so then, so, so, so then, so then, you can't be considered the owner of it before it's been separated. That's the point of the gemara. You have a hundred apples here. You're going eventually to separate trimus or maizros. If you hold that once you separate it, then you're not the owner bechlau and, and and you have no equity in it, then you can't say that when the guy stole from you before it's been separated, he stole something that was yours. You don't have some, anything that's going to come from it. You shouldn't be considered, it shouldn't be considered that, that he stole from you in that amount. So the Gemara was trying to sell us that no, if it's as if it hasn't been separated yet, it's not separated, so he's stealing Hulin from you. But what the Gemara is responding is that if at the end of the day, once they're separated, you're not going to have Mammon in it, so you don't have to compensate for that. It's a very interesting like philosophy. Am I taking anything away from you if right now it's yours, but once it's separated, you will have no, no equity in it? So did I take anything from you? It's fascinating. I didn't separate it yet, but the din of it is to be separated and I won't have equity. So did I take anything away? Originally, the Gemara was saying, yeah, Lamaisa, right now, I took away a chulin. The Gemara is basically coming back and saying, even if it's not like it's been separated, it doesn't make, uh, it doesn't make sense. It can't be considered that I deprived you of anything by, by, by taking those apples. Okay, so therefore, how could Rebbe say that you have to pay even for the portion of the Truman Maiser? So the Gemara gives us another interpretation. El times Rebbe, you know why Rebbe says you have to pay back the value of the whole amount of the stolen tevel? You're right. It's a penalty. We don't want people stealing. Meaning the point that we're saying is you're right. Technically, Tovazanah is not Mammon. But Rebbe says, Midrabanon, it was a penalty. The thief has to pay back the value of the benefit to the owner. Because if not, you know, it always just encourages Ganavim. We want 
penalize, penalize a person for stealing. So if he would come out a weird thing that I stole 100 apples, so I only have to pay back, you know, for 88 of them because at a, minus the two that were going to be Truma and minus the 10 that were going to be Miser. So the Ganov kind of gained. It's not fair. Ganov can never gain in life. Ganov, Ganovim can't gain. So therefore, even though you didn't really deprive the owner of those 12 apples, anyways, the owner wasn't going to be able to eat them. He's going to have to give them to the coin of the Levi. But we say that Ganov has to pay so that in the future he will not stay ill. So that way, Rabbi's Rabbi's holds no, there's no such penalty, and therefore he only pays for the Chulim part. Says the Gemara, another explanation, Rabbi's Rabbi's Savar, another shot, as you could say, is that maybe really everyone holds you should be paying back, um, but 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 out's the penalty, but Rabbi's Rabbi's holds, Kantu Rabbanon Ba'avais, actually the Rabbanon are working in the opposite Kinnats. We want to penalize the owner of the Tevel, he Tevel, he don't want him to allow Tevel to remain without Tikkun, meaning, you want to make sure that people are misakin the Truman Meisers. We want people separating Truman Meisers right away. So what happened in the story? There was a guy who, who didn't separate Truman Meisers yet, and then his, his apples got stolen, right? So because we're not so happy, you know, with him, we're not, we're not, so, we're not so excited about the fact that, that he had untithed stuff in his, in, his, in, his, in his possession. So we say, therefore, the penalty is on him, and he doesn't get paid back for what was going to be Truman Meisers. But actually, in the didn't, we would have preferred that uh, he be compensated to be compensated for the chulin in order to penalize the ganav. Rabbi Yisrael is saying, no, actually we want to penalize the other guy for not being misaka and his trim on miser right away. All right, so after all this is done, our original question has not been resolved. We have a steer in the Mishnah. When you ask for all Kahnam Levim from benefiting, it says they could take a Shemad Maiser. Then it says when you ask for a specific Kahnam Levim, then other people take the Shemad Maiser, but not the people you ask for. We're trying to figure out, isn't it Talim until us Anam Mammon or Anam Mammon? We thought it was Machlokas Anam, but we couldn't prove it was Machlokas Anam. We ended up not with, without a resolution to that. So now the Gemara tells us, Rava Amar. Really, we all told us Anam, could be Mammon. And that's why in the Seifa, the, the, the specific Kohen Levim that, that the woman Asr can't take Truman Maiser. But shiny Truman, it's different when you Asr to all Kohanim. Why? The reason the Kohanim can take against his will, Truman is only good for Kohanim. And since he's making a nether against all Kohanim, then what's he saying? The owner is coming to Asr, Truman to all Kohanim in the world. It becomes totally hefker. In other words, he can't give it to any Kohen and, and he can't eat it because it's Truman. So what in the world is he saying? It basically becomes totally hefker. So therefore, any coin that takes it can, can, can take the truma. So basically, we're saying, Tovasana is moment. You do have equity in the right. That's why if you only offer a certain koanim, they can't take it because they're taking something from your equity. But if you offer it to all koanim, then your equity has nothing, right? Your equity lost its value. It becomes like an hefker thing because what are you going to do with it? Yes, you have equity in the truma, but you can't take it for yourself. Your whole equity is that you'd give it to Kohanim. But I offer all Kohanim from having pleasure for me. So therefore, practically, no one can take it. So now, therefore, what? It's a catch-22. Therefore, my equity is no value. My equity is no value. It's half care, so let them just take it. So when you offer only, let's say, one coin, so very good. I still have a Tovas, and I have an equity that I can decide which other coin to give it to. Therefore, my equity is there, and the one coin which I offer can't take it from me because then he'd be deriving pleasure from me. It's something I have equity in. But if I answer all Kohanim, so my Tova no Mammon falls away. Because my whole monetary right is to decide which Kohanim and Levi to give it to. If I answer all Kohanim and Levi, and therefore practically I can't give it to anybody because it would be a gift from me. Then therefore my equity has no meaning. If my equity has no meaning. If it becomes like Hefker, it becomes like Hefker, then anybody could take it. So it's an amazing Chaf, a great Cash 22 that the Gemara is saying. Once you forfeit... <laughs> Once you ask for all the Kohanim, your Tovah no loses its meaning. Once it loses its meaning in terms of being equity, then ultimately anybody can take it. So we can, now it ends up with such a Gishmak Achil because it's in the Mishnah. If I ask for all Kohanim, it becomes Hefka. If I only ask for one Kohen, my Tovah no still is Maman. Therefore, the person who I asked for it cannot benefit. 
All right, now we continue further. Again, the, the theme of the parak is a wife making nidarim. Could the husband be made for her? So if it's Eno Nefesh or Beno, they know he could. Otherwise, not. So the Mishnah says, Konim sheni oisa al pi A woman said to her husband, Akonam, I'm not going to do any work for father. I'm not going to give and do anything for my father. She's answering her work that her father can't benefit from it. Al pi for your father. Al pi my brother. Al pi for the mouth of your brother. In all these cases, you know, she's not afflicted in the sense that she can't benefit one of her relatives. And it doesn't affect... Her husband, it's all about their relatives. It doesn't affect the husband. So you could say, you know, maybe loosely it does. Maybe it's insulting to him. That's not Beinu Levena. Beinu Levena is direct friction. You know, you can't benefit from my stuff. If it's dad, can't benefit from the stuff. That's not, that's not Beinu Levena. If she said, that I'm not going to do work for your mouth, so you can't benefit from my stuff. In this case, you would say, okay, awesome. That's for sure Beinu Levena. But the Mishnah says, no. He doesn't need to revoke it because the nether is not chal. Why not? Because a woman is meshuba to work for her husband. Remember what we learned in Ksubis. She has to go. That's part of the marital responsibilities that she has to provide certain amounts of um, income for the family. She has, to, she has to do that. The husband has to support her. We've learned about that. Provided with mizonos. But she has to do certain amounts of labor, certain amounts of work. So if she's offering her handiwork on her husband, he doesn't even need to revoke it. It's not chal. It's against what she's already mishibbed to do. No, he should revoke the vow. It's Beit Olveinah, and he should revoke it. Why? I, anyway, she's mishibbed, so why is it chal? Maybe she'll produce more than he is owed. In other words, there's an excess amount. If a woman works harder, and she produces more than, is, than she is required to, so then she can keep it. So this is ksubas rate. There's like a basic amount, you know, five slum worth of thread per week. So let's say she works extra hours, really hard, and she produces more. So then she'd be entitled to keep it. And then, if the nether was there, then the husband won't be able to be benefited from it. So we say, it's bein ol oh, he's able to be made for her. It seems that the Tanakama disagrees. Tanakama holds even if she makes excess, it all is owed to her husband. That's why he didn't care about this far that maybe there's going to be excess. Only Rabbi Akiva cares about. Another reason why you should provoke the vow. Why? Not like Rabbi Akiva because of the excess, but a different reason. Maybe he'll divorce her. Then she'll be answered if he doesn't revoke it. Because... It's Meshubah to him. So anyways, it's not Chal. So very good. When she's married, the nether is not binding. But what will happen if they'll be divorced? Then whatever she'll produce at that point, after divorce, will become Aser. And at that point, the nether is Chal. If he decides, I want to get back together, there's already this, this Chalais nether that he can't benefit from her. We're going to say, you can't marry her. You can't go into a relationship knowing you're not going to be able to benefit from her, any of your handiwork. So therefore, smart that you made for the nether now while you're married. Because if you don't, and you rely on the fact that it's not chal now because she's meshubah to you during the marriage, it will take effect after the divorce. It takes effect after the divorce, then you're not going to be able to remarry her subsequently. Very good. So the chiddush Rabbi Yochum Nuri is, let's just try to understand this, is that a woman is making a nether that her handiwork is awesome. And it's not chal now. Why? Because she's meshubah to him. But it would still take effect after divorce. So even though she's offering the future handiwork, it's still going to be chal. Tremendous chiddush. And, and she's, kind of, she's kind of consecrating. She's kind of declaring a nether on something which is not here yet. But still Rabbi Yochum Anuri holds that that is chal. And that's why he's, he's saying that, that the husband should, should, should be made for, for that possibility. Tanakam holds the nether wouldn't be chal in any future, future handiwork. Therefore, there's no need to be made for, for that. So again, to summarize, where she says, my handiwork is also on you while they're married. Tanakama says, no need to be made for Rabbi Akiva says, you should be made for because of the possible excess. Rabbi Nuri says, you should be made for because maybe subsequently he'll divorce her. And after divorce, it would be chal, and then he won't be allowed to remarry her. 
Amar Shmuel, the Gemara says, Allah Rabbi Nuchum, like Rabbi Nuchum and Nuri, that you should revoke the vow because of the possibility that it will be chal after divorce. So, we see from here, you could consecrate something that's not yet in existence. Because when you're asking something through an edder, it's not really different. In, in a certain way, it's like consecrating it. In other words, you just, you just compare it to a carbon, and in both cases, it becomes aser. So, the earnings aren't yet in existence because she has not yet divorced. Right? That's the whole point. And another point, which the Rishonim point out, is that earnings, by definition, are non-existent. They haven't been produced yet. So if Shmuel is ruling of Rebilcha and Nuri that it should be made for the nether because it might be chal after divorce and those future handiworks will be asr, clearly old, you can consecrate something that's not yet into existence. Now that's a chiddush because the Gemara says, is that true that you could? Raminu, we have a contradiction between something Shmuel said and another Mishnah where he seems to hold that you can't be mocked if something that's not in existence. You, a chalais has to be only, a person only has to ask on, on things that are around. What does it say in the Mishnah? Mocked, Shmuel said the issue is someone who consecrates his wife's earnings, meaning here's the opposite. Remember, a, a husband is entitled to the five slum worth of thread per week. So he, a husband is declaring whatever my wife produces that amount, it should go to the base of Mikdash. That's what he's saying. What's the law? She could work and she could and eat, meaning she could support herself with this, meaning they don't become consecrated. She could go buy, uh, go buy food. So, so very interesting. What's the, what's Taka the Pshat? What's Taka the Pshat over here? In other words, why don't we say that um, they belong to her husband? So let him be Makdashit. Why, why, why is that? Well, why don't, why don't they become Kaddish? So there's different ideas um, you know, with the, the Gemara, the Gemara in Subis goes through back and forth with this. But one idea is that this is where the husband is not supporting her and she has the option of working for herself. That if the husband doesn't give her food, then she has the option of saying, hey, then I'm going to just keep my earnings for myself. And that might be what's going on here in the Mishnah. That's from one shot in the Gemara in Subas that we're talking about the husband's not supporting him, not supporting her. The earnings are for herself. So very good. Your mind is my earnings, but the earnings are mine. So that's why she can keep them for herself and go eat. Fine. That's what the ratio is talking about. But if he consecrates the excess, in other words, he's, he's consecrating what's more than her mandatory um, earnings. He consecrated whatever would be, if it's more than five slum of weight of threats. For a mayor or hektish, it becomes hektish. Because remember, in exchange for this excess, the husband is required to give her some spending money. So Shmuel is of the opinion here, the Gemara Suba says, that the cases where the husband can't afford to do that. So, 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 so it's, it, it, what it means at the time is that, is that after the death, in other words, he's not giving her the spending money, so really it's hers, whatever she's doing the excess. But we're saying if she dies, when the husband inherits whatever her extra, her extra earnings of, and Rameyer is saying that you could be mocked to shit for that time. So let's make sure this is clear, because you need a little bit of the Gemara and Subas to understand this. The husband is not providing with the spending money, so really the excess is not his, it belongs to her. Just like in the previous case, her earnings were hers because he wasn't supporting her, so too here, he's not providing with extra spending money, so the excess is hers. But if she were to die, he would inherit all this excess and would be his. So a mayor says, you can be mocked to shit for the future. That's what it is. Right now, when she produces the extra thread, it's hers. So therefore, it's not going to hectic because at this point, it doesn't belong to the husband. The husband's consecrating what's not yet his. But he has a theoretically down the line, if she dies, he inherits her. And what's the law? What's going to be? It does become to the husband's. So a mayor holds that that's, it's being chal now that after he would inherit her, it would go to the base of Mikdash. Adam is Makdash Davar Shalobalol. That's exactly what's going on. 
you're being maktish for the future that if you will inherit her after she passes away, then those future things that he inherits should go to the base of Mekdash. And we're saying if that plays itself out, she dies, he inherits her, those future earnings are consecrated. Because Rebbe Mayer holds, a person can affect consecration on things which are not yet in existence. So you're being maktish now, something you don't own. He's being maktish for future earnings that would become his if hypothetically she passes away and he inherits her. Rebbe Mayer says that takes effect, it's consecrated. It's unconsecrated. Why? Because you can't be maktish. It's not your husband's right now. How do we pass? We pass We see you cannot consecrate something that's not yet in existence. So what basically we're saying is how could Shmuel paskin in our Mishnah? That the husband has to be made for in our case, it's the wife who's ossering her handiwork on her husband. So we're saying it's not Chal now because she's married and the handiwork's not here. But we're saying, Rabbi Yochman said, oh, you should be Magdish because we'll be Chal after divorce, even though that's low below them. It sounds like we paskin. You could be Magdish below them. The problem is in that case, where the husband is being Magdish, his wife's excess earnings, we say that, that it could be chal for after the time that she dies and he and he inherits her. We see all the Sorry, we see Eno the Maktashabalam, we see that it's it's not chal. It's not, his hektish is not chal like Rabbi Hassan. You know what we could say? When we said here, we just mean he should be made for it, but not for Rabbi Yochamanuri's reason. Rabbi Yochamanuri's reason was because after divorce it will be chal. We mean you should be made for it because of the excess earnings. If he would make, he, would, he really was coming to say like Rabbi Akiva, that you should be made for it because maybe she'll make more than necessary and it will belong to her. And there we say that, um, and, and there we say that that, 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 that that then he wouldn't be able to benefit unless he made hafara. So when we're saying Allah Manur, we just mean in terms that he that he should be made for, but not for his reason. Rilchel Manur was saying he should be made for because we'll, the net will go into effect after divorce. We just mean Allah Manur, you should be made for because of that excess earnings. But the Gemara rejects that right away because first of all, he should have clarified that. Should have clarified Rilchel Manur is right. Clapy the excess, meaning Allah Manur is, is not. It's not. He's not right that the net would take effect after divorce. That's lobal ola. But he's right that because of the excess, he should be made for. He should have said that Allah is like the Tanakama, that, uh, that, that, that a husband doesn't need to revoke the neder because it's not chal on the lobal olm after divorce. Meaning, the same way you're saying Allah is like manure, clap of the excess, you could say that Allah is like the Tanakama, clap it that it's not chal after divorce. Like, how do you know how to, how to term it? Inami, the best thing would have been is that, is that Allah is like Rabbi Akiva. In other words, who said that you should be made fair because of the access. Just say that directly. It's not that you should be made fair because right now the, the, the basic earnings are, are hers because they're not, they're, they, they're owed to you. It's not that you should be made fair because after divorce it will take effect because ain't no demagogy, but rather you should be made fair now because like Rabbi Akiva is saying, because the access might, 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 might take effect on that. So basically that understanding of what he meant when he said is out the window. Clearly when he said that, he meant that it will take effect after she produces it it will take effect and it will be there after divorce. So that's a stira. We rule like Rabbi Yochanan that a person can't consecrate something not yet in existence in the case where the husband is being makdash, the most of his wife, that it would come to him after divorce, after death, we say, it is not chal. Here we're saying, when a wife makes the nadar, that her handiwork's also to her husband, the husband should be made for it because, because possibly will take be chal after divorce. So it's a stira. So the Gemara gives us a new answer. Ella Marv Yosef. There's a difference between hektish and nidarim, shani konamos, nidarim are different. Nidarim, you could be maktish on something that's not in existence. Regular hektish, if you're consecrating something to Hashem, only on what's here. A neder, 
could take effect in the sunny night here. Why? What's this fara? We know by nether is a very unique thing. You don't need to be an owner. You can ask for somebody else's fruits on yourself. You don't have to be an owner. If you don't have to be an owner to create that effect of an nether, also not all of them. You can ask for something that's not in existence. By hektish, I can't, I can't dedicate your thing to the base of mikdash. I have to be an owner. So since it requires ownership, you can't be make a hektish as well on something that you will own but don't currently own. We don't need by those. By Nidarim, the whole Indian is that you can make a nether on something even if it's not yours. So therefore, you can ask her even if it's not around. What are you talking about? It's not a good comparison. Why could you ask for somebody else's stuff on yourself? You could ask for your fruits on your friend. Meaning, you're right that you could ask for your friend's fruits on yourself. But... But at the end of the day, it, you need some sense of jurisdiction, either the fruits or the person, meaning I could offer my fruits onto somebody else or I could offer my friend's fruits onto me. Right? That's the idea. Where You could have one or the other. But what would happen, like, for example, if I try to offer my friend's fruits on a third person, let's say I, I'm Reuven, and I say Shimon's fruits are offered on Levi. Could I do that? No way. I have to either be the person who's becoming offered to or the, uh, be the person who owns it. Could, if I, in our case, I want to ask for something not yet in existence onto somebody else. So that's more like that case. I'm offering somebody else's fruits on someone else. In other words, yes, it's true. I could offer my friend's fruits on myself, but that's because I have jurisdiction over myself. It's like I could offer my stuff on him or I could offer his stuff on me. Very good. In either case, I have either the, 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 the forbidden item or I'm the person becoming forbidden. But here the question is, could I forbid something that's not yet here on somebody else. So if anything, what does that really compare to? If I'm Reuven, can I say Shimon's fruits are also on Levi? No way. So do we, if the fruits aren't in existence yet, I'm not really an owner of them. So I can't be, make a nether on something that's not here to be also on someone else. That's really what it's more comparable to. So it doesn't make sense if you hold fundamentally, it, 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 it doesn't make sense to say you can make a nether on a lobal olam on someone else. So therefore the Gemara says a different thing. What's the case in the Mishnah of Rabbi Yochum and Nuri that the wife is offering her earnings? She's not Stam saying she's offering the earnings. She said that her hands should become Asr. The hands are already in existence. Meaning she's not offering the earnings. She's offering her hands. So the, the earnings become Asr because they're an extension of her hands. But the Chalais is on their hands and therefore the hands are in existence. But Zakta Gemara, still it's not Chal now. Very good. You've explained that even though the earnings aren't produced, it's still Bala Olam because she asked her hands. But right now, her hands belong to who? Her husband. Her hands are obligated to work for her husband. So even if you're saying, even if you're saying that, that she's answering her hands, but it doesn't help because right now the hands are mishupit to the husband. But she said that the hand should be consecrated when she's divorced. But she's not yet divorced. How do you know that if she says it, it's going to help? It's meaning we're going in circles. If you think about it, there's two reasons why it's low below Olam in the earnings. First of all, it hasn't been produced. And second of all, it can only be chal after divorce. So the Gemara is basically saying, in terms of the issue that the earnings haven't been divorced, you could understand. She said that, that the nether is chal in my hands. My hands are awesome. That's very good if she could answer right now. But she can't answer right now because right now her hands are mashuba, they're, ob- they're obligated to work for us. LMI, what do you, so, so what were you saying? It's low below olam that she could answer her hands for after the divorce. So yeah, but if she says it, then it works. So if you will, they know the makhashobashabal olam, it doesn't help to say it. 
Right? The problem is that right now she's not currently divorced. So her hands are obligated to work for her husband. She doesn't own her hands now. So she and the Mara is trying to say, oh, but maybe she said that, 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 that when she's divorced, that her hands should be also. So I that doesn't help. If you hold it, you can't be Mazar Shalom. You can't make a Chalais. Saying it is not going to help. So we're going to close here for the day. But let's just, we're realizing we're stopping in the middle of a problem. We're in the middle of a steer and Shmuel. And our Mishnah, where the woman is asering her handiwork on the husband, where Yochum and Nuri says the husband should be made for. Even though right now it's Meshavit, there's nothing schal, because what will be after the divorce? So in Shmuel passings like Rabbi Yochum and Nuri, which means that he passings, you can make another on a low Lola. Even though the divorce is not here, here. And as the Gemara is saying, she could ask her hands, she could say it's for after the divorce, but it's still low Lola. Right now her hands aren't hers, they're for, obligated to work for her husband. So when she asks it for after the divorce, low Lola, Shmuel here is passing like Rabbi Yochum and Nuri, it sounds like he holds a person who could make another on low Lola. The problem is we have a stira from the Mishnah elsewhere. The Mishnah elsewhere says, that if a husband is being maktish, the earnings that, from his wife that might come to him after her, after she dies, where Shmuel possibly on a sandler, that they're unconsecrated. Why? Because I cannot be maktish tovah shalom We were in the middle of a contradiction, a stira, between this question of maktish tovah shalom or not.